This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dafrin Johan. It's been about a year since Anwar Ibrahim became the 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia. Since taking office, the Prime Minister has promised to weed out corruption, improve the lives of the poorest people in the nation, and strengthen institutions. So, how has the Prime Minister and Kerajaan Madani performed so far? Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Shazwan Zainal. He's the Assistant Manager of Research at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, which is IDEAS. Welcome to the show, Shazwan. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for, for having me. So let's start with some overall thoughts. I'm um, just to keep in mind um, also to listeners that this in conversation will be mostly focused on governance, um, um, improving democracy and areas like that. And we will do another show where we deep dive more into the economic aspects, whether um, the prime minister and his cabinet has improved the lives of the Marhain and so on and so forth. With, with all of that out of the way, Shazwan, um, let's start with an overview. What are your overall thoughts on PMX and Madani Cabinet's first year in power? Well, I think generally, um, Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim has been a mixed bag of positives and negatives. So on one hand, you have, um, even within the first year, uh, you see a lot of institutional reforms that have been undertaken on multiple fronts. Um, like, for example, the fiscal responsibility, um, the empowerment of the role of the parliament by uh, institutionalizing uh, the parliamentary special select committee. So we have like 10 PSCs at the moment, right? Um, also the abolition of mandatory death penalty. So, and also the uh, the prime minister's question and minister's question time. So we see on one hand, that there are quite a number of um, important institutional reforms that have been um, implemented by the government. Um, and also on the pipeline, you see quite a number of uh, really important reforms as well, such as the, uh, the uh, Parliamentary Services Act, the political financing reform, the separation of attorney general and the public prosecutor's offices. Um, so these are is uh, important and crucial uh, institutional reforms that have been undertaken or currently in the process of being undertaken by the government. Um, but at the same time, you also have some rather kind of worrying trends as well. Um, the Prime Minister has been seen to be pandering to quite a number of uh, rather conservative or like, uh, you know, religious or uh, racial um, you know, polarization, right, in Malaysia right now. Um, things like, for example, the um, the constitutional amendment on citizenship that has been, um, you know, quite a number of CSOs and NGOs have are quite concerned about that as well. So definitely uh, it's a mixed bag of positives and negatives and whether or not uh, the government uh, will be able to kind of create a more um, reformist government really very much depends on the political factors in play, uh, whether or not, for example, uh, you know, the whole point about green wave, whether that can be managed or not, um, and also economic factors as well. Um, you know, if, for example, if the economy continues to become stronger, then 
arguably it would be a lot easier for the government to implement some of the um, less palatable uh, reforms um, in in uh, in the government, right? So yeah, generally it's a mixed bag of positives and negatives. Now, people often like to talk about political stability, right? Um, and and how political stability. Um, instills confidence in the public domestically, but also in various stakeholder, stakeholders um, on the international circuits. Um, you know, at one point, uh, Malaysia was stable, so to speak, I use it in quotation marks, in the sense that Barisan National governed for 60 years. Where we are at today is not that just we have one, uh, another political party or another coalition defeating Barisan National and then becoming uh, and then coming in power. We are in a very fluid um, stage of democracy. Um, some may say it's a, a maturing um, aspect of democracy where Malaysians are grappling with the concept of of post election coalitions. For example, you go into elections, nobody has the the, the majority to form the government. You have to negotiate a lot, uh, across the aisles, um, form new teammates, partners, um, um, and, and to then f- uh, find the majority and form the government. Um, with all of that in mind, how stable is the Anwar government right now? And how would you describe? Harapan's relationship with its coalition partners, namely AMNO, and even its East Malaysian partners such as GPS? On one hand, um, just based on the numbers, right, um, Prime Minister Anwar has two-third majority in parliament. Um, so on paper, he he should be quite stable, right? But you also see quite a lot of uh, re- re- rhetorics being thrown about, especially from the opposition, right? Um, saying, uh, you know, oh, Anwar is unstable. We have the numbers. Uh, you know, we will become the government in the next few months and so on and so forth. Um, so, yes, on, on one side, you have the numbers, the th- two-thirds majority. Um, and you also have the anti-hopping law, right, in place to protect uh, and ensure political stability in government. But Anwar also has to uh, manage the contending interests and compromises within his coalition partners. You have um, obviously AMNO or BN um, within the coalition. And so he has to manage that. But at the same time, you also have a rather... Um, maybe interventionist um, uh, opposition uh, who would rather than becoming a robust opposition, they seek to kind of undermine the stability of the current government, which to me um, is unhealthy for Malaysian democracy. Uh, The way I see it, um, you know, once the government is in place, whoever is in the opposition should play their role, right? Because, if you look at the literature in politics and democracy, um, the role of the opposition is just as important as the role of the government, if right. not even more so, right? Mm-hmm. Because the opposition is there to provide checks and balances um, to the government in of the day, right? So the, uh, the constant kind of rhetoric by the opposition that, uh, hey, uh, we have the numbers, we want to be in government in the next few months and so on, rather than focusing on their role as the opposition is to me quite uh, disappointing and also, um, yeah, unhealthy for Malaysian democracy. 
Um, for Anwar's part, um, the current coalition is essentially a marriage of, of convenience, right? right? Political expediency, whereby he has to accommodate interests and demands of other coalition partners, right? Um, and also the recent uh, DNAA case of Zahid Hamidi is one example. So um, obviously, I am not part of the judicial case. Um, I'm not part of the uh, legal case, legal team um, prosecuting or defending Zahid Hamidi. So I don't know the exact details of the case, but there is a negative perception, right, uh, which is currently being reinforced when critical reforms, especially, for example, regarding the separation of uh, public prosecutor and attorney general, um, is being postponed or would take some time. So even if, um, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong happening with Zahid's case. There is that negative perception. And unfortunately, that will continue to happen so long as that crucial uh, reform of separation of AG and PP um, is being postponed or takes some time, right? Um, but of course, um, all, uh, all institutional reforms takes time and we need to uh, take note of that. We need to address that. Uh, but... Also, the government, I think, has a responsibility to make sure that any and all institutional reforms that they've committed themselves to, um, they, that they should kind of give a clearer timeline, right? Uh, that they should include uh, NGOs and CSOs and the public and reassure the public that, hey, this institutional reform will, uh, will be done. It's just that it will take a bit of time because of uh, specific reasons. Um, and I think that's perfectly valid. Yep. So let's talk about institutional reform. And I think this is core, not just because it is important regardless of whose government, but because this Prime Minister and his um, core team, at least, you know, Pakatan Harpan, before that Pakatan Rayat, but at, at the helm of it, Anwar Ibrahim, they have been chanting reform for 25 years, right? This mm. is their agenda, primary agenda, reformacy, reformation. How would you evaluate Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim's approach to institutional reforms in the past year? Has he matched up to the ideals and the name that he himself has built up over 25 years? Right. Uh, well, your, that's a very interesting question. Uh, idealism versus like practicality, right? right. Um, I would say uh, how to evaluate his approach mm -hmm. to his reforms. I would say he has been cautious mm. uh, in trying to strike a balance between uh, the reforms that he has promised and the reforms that... Uh, his base very much demand for, while also uh, tracking a balance with um, the conservatives, really, hmm. um, that are very much, um, re you know, resurging in, in Malaysian politics, right? So he's been trying to kind of grapple between the two. He's trying to make the argument that these institutional reforms are not just... Um, for the sake of one community, but it's for the sake of Malaysian democracy and Malaysian politics in general, right? Um, so, yeah, between idealism and rhetoric, uh, no, yeah, idealism versus practicality, mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, there's that gap. I agree. Um, he has been trying to, uh, he's been cautious in trying to do both. Um, but on one, on one hand, I would argue that um, some of the institutional reforms that have been undertaken, undertaken are very crucial and very mm -hmm. important 
I especially um, would like to emphasize on the the strengthened role of parliament. Um, for example, ideas um, we've had multiple opportunities of engaging with um, parliamentary special select committee PSSCs. One on uh, the human rights uh, elections and institutional reforms, and the other one on PSC on uh, I think women's rights, right? So um, yeah, so we and we've we've kind of uh, did, you know engaged with the PSC, and we see that there is greater role of parliament in holding the government accountable, right? Um, so for example, on the separation of attorney general and public prosecutors' offices. Um, ideas have uh, presented our findings to the PSC on institutional reforms, also on the political financing um, bill we've uh, presented to the PSC on institutional reforms as well. Um, so yeah, you have that um, that uh, openness. Yeah, the openness and and that uh, direction that's mm-hmm. heading to the right kind of trajectory. Um, but at the same time, you also see and hear some rather worrying trends, right? Regressive measures, things like uh, amendments to the constitution on citizenship. You also see um, a heightened polarization when it comes to you know religion and race um, and also on, um, you know, for example, LGBT rights, right? Um, previously, that, that, have ne- that has never been... Uh, quite of a big issue in Malaysia, but it's only for the past, you know, maybe five or 10 years that, uh, you know, these racial and religious polarization has become heightened, right? So, yeah, Anwar has been trying to grapple between the two, between his, I would say, reformist tendencies and proclivities, but also trying to, um, and that's the idealism part, and he's trying to kind of marry that uh, with the political reality of, governing in Malaysia, which is, which has a significant conservative, um, uh, you know, section in society. So yeah, obviously reforms take time and it depends very much on the commitment of the government. Uh, but I would say that it's important for the government to be transparent, right? And to involve um, the public uh, specifically and, you know, NGOs and CSOs um, and provide, because we ensure that the government is accountable, right? Um, and it would also be important for the government to provide that timeline, to provide that reassurance to the public that, hey, we are committed to making that that reform. It's just that, you know, we need time, we need resources. Um, yeah, that I think is important, right? You mentioned that, that balance, right? Trying to, to manage the situation. And because I, I think a lot of... Um, progressive-minded people um, oftentimes, and, and I think rightfully so, criticise this government for certain regressive steps. Mm. In counter, the government would say, well, if you guys, I mean, when you guys, as in the Malaysian population, gave Pakatan Harapan enough votes, enough seats to form the government on our own, we would be able to do, you know, this full-on idealistic thing that, that we set out to do. But now, because we have to work across the aisles, we have to work with AMNO, we have to work, um, you know, with certain uh, with, with the East Malaysian parties and, and so on and so forth, um, we, we have to strike this balance, right? We cannot just, you know, full blast um, or, or, you know, propel our reform agenda. Everything needs to be negotiated and, and discussed with our coalition partners who may be of different ideologies. Do you think this government has, on the practical front, um, 
struck that balance well? It's hard for me to say whether they've struck that balance well or not. But, you know, it's it's I think it's very important for Malaysia to have that the ability for the government in power to work very closely uh, with those who are of different ideology, right? As you said, work across the aisle, mm-hmm. right? Because I think the the Malaysian cult, political culture previously has very much uh, revolves around dominance and control, right. right? Especially for the past 60 years under the Barisan National Government. Um, everything is about like the Prime Minister. Hmm. Power centralized very much on the office of the Prime Minister. Um, and and um, no, essentially, as one party. Uh, but I know this looks or appears to Malaysians in general that, oh, it's very messy, it's very unstable, it's very uncertain. Mm. But I would argue that it's a good thing for Malaysian democracy to have this because we see um, negotiations, Mm -hmm. right? Different contending interests, different parties in in power. Um, We see uh, working across the aisle, uh, you know, different coalitions coming together um, and politics is very fluid. Mm -hmm. I would argue that I know it's at at first glance, it seems uncertain and, and, uh, you know, not good, but I would argue that it creates um, a transition or a shift that is positive for Malaysian political culture. Um, So yeah, so that I would, that is what would be my response because whether or not uh, the Prime Minister has been able to kind of strike a balance that is uh, appropriate, uh, I'm not sure I'm you know qualified enough to, to make that uh, assessment. Right. But yeah, I would say that this working together, this quote-unquote instability, I would say it's a, it's a good thing for Malaysian culture, uh, Malaysian political culture, yeah. All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Shazwan Zainal, Assistant Manager of Research at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, IDEAS. We continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan, and on the show with me today is Shazwan Zainal, Assistant Manager Assistant Manager of Research at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, IDEAS. And we're discussing Anwar's first year in power, particularly in terms of institutional reforms. So, Shazwan, in terms of transparency and accountability, which is the Prime Minister's favourite buzzword, um, Patakalola, I think it's a a good thing, right, that he's emphasising this a lot. But what measures has the government taken under the, the Prime Minister's leadership um, in terms of transparency and or improving transparency and accountability? So there are a few things that I believe the Prime Minister has done uh, quite well. Mm-hmm. On one hand, uh, the fact that you see that there is a, a recognisable uh, empowerment of the parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the introduction of, um, I think, about 10 parliamentary special select committees in parliament right now, um, which is important and crucial if you want to uh, ensure accountability and transparency of uh, democracy and governance in Malaysia. Right. Um, previously, 
you know, we we might want to compare this with the you know previous administrations. Um, you know, it's very much like one party, <laughs> one party rule, and powers are much concentrated on the prime minister. But with the empowerment and strengthening of parliament's role in checks and balances of the government, I think that is a very important um, shift in mm-hmm. Malaysian col- uh, politics, right? Um, and on our part, on Ideas's part, uh, we've also noticed that uh, the PSSCs have been inviting quite a number of CSOs and uh, NGOs to uh, different, um, you know, you know, public hearing and, and engagement sessions um, on different issues. On different issues, right? As I've stated before, uh, ideas have been invited uh, to the PSCs on uh, politing as well as um, a separation of AG and PP. Uh, we've also presented to uh, PSC on women, specifically on orang asli education. Um, so that has been, I would say, really, really important uh, institutional reform when it, got, when it comes to transparency and accountability. Also, um, the introduction by the Speaker of the Prime Minister's question and Minister's question time. So a specific time where um, backbenchers and the opposition can grill um, the Prime Ministers and members of the executive um, on uh, specific policy on uh, basically providing checks and balances, right? So I think that is extremely important um, for Malaysian democracy. Um, also, the intro- um, well, the commitment by the government to introduce Parliamentary Services Act, which would professionalize uh, Parliament, right? And ensuring that Parliament is independent from the executive and able to decide on its staffing and on its, you know, uh, yeah, so I think that those are very, very important kind of trajectory when it comes to transparency and accountability. Yeah. You know, when we look back at the 2018 elections in which um, Najib Raza and the Barisan National Government fell, what ultimately led to that? What ultimately brought out hundreds of thousands of people to the streets is corruption and the, and, the, uh, and the amount of corruption scandals um, the uh, former administrative um, at that point under the leadership of Najib Raza was embroiled in, right? Um, that was finally that 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 thing that really broke the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back, 1MDB and, and all of it. When you look at this government we have today, um, a few years later after 2018, how effective effective has the anti-corruption efforts been under Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim's administration? I think generally the Prime Minister has been fairly um, well, fairly acceptable I suppose. A little um, slow um, given that he has a lot of uh, different considerations to take, like what I said, political reality and coalition partners and so on. Um, but generally, I would say um, he has been fairly okay. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's a mixed case of positives and like this, right? So on ideas on ideas part, we believe in institutional reforms, right? So in you know individual or specific cases, you can talk at length about that. But what matters in the end. Uh, is institutional reforms because once you right. have the systems and 
institutions in place, um, you know, moving forward, um, hopefully that institution and system would be robust enough um, to ensure that um, our political reality becomes, you know, improved and becomes, there's more accountability, right? So on, for example, on the separation of attorney general, that is a very important and crucial um, uh, institutional reform that is very much needed. So, which is obviously linked to anti-corruption, right? Because if you have a public prosecutor that is independent from the executive, from the attorney general, then the decision, the prosecutorial independence of the uh, PP, of the public prosecutor, will be less likely to be questioned, right? right. The public prosecutor is to uh, prosecute whoever uh, that is deemed to have, um, you know, um, broken the law, right, based on their assessment, right, um, without having to be concerned about his, um, you know, job security as, as a PP. Um, so, yeah, um, so even if, for example, if, if something uh, like 1MDB happened again, if we have a separate AG and PP, it, it hopefully wouldn't matter, right? Because the PP will just prosecute the prime minister, right? Uh, and that's fine. Um, so that's one part, the separation of AG and PP. And also another thing is political financing, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously the issue of how political parties and politicians get their money via, you know, via donations or via you know, money laundering and so on, that is a huge issue that needs to be tackled with. And if we introduce a bill or a a legislation on political financing that requires political parties to report and disclose how they get their money and the sources of their funding um, and, and report it to parliament and report it to the public, then the a potential or the possibility of, um, you know, uh, all these cases of of raswa um, uh, and so on will be lessened, right? Um, so, on one hand, the administration has been making commitments to to do separation and and political financing, but yes, as we've stated just now, it takes time, um, and. Yeah, hopefully this is only the beginning. Hopefully more um, anti-corruption efforts um, will be made. For example, on MACC, quite a number of NGOs and CSOs have been calling for MACC to be uh, reformed, to be truly independent. So yeah, hopefully the Prime Minister takes it seriously and yeah, ensure that full institutional reform is done. So I guess the two key points that you're bringing up in terms of things that this government needs to focus on um, really, you know, that the big projects is when it comes to institutional reform is the separation of the AG and the public prosecutor as well as a political financing act. Um, in your, you know, in ideas, negotiate uh, sort of um, discussions with the government um, and, and your observation, um, do you get the sense that this government is moving in that direction um, although they haven't implemented it within the first year, I think many people would have hoped that these two things would be, you know, a, a very key 
core part of the, the initial reforms that they do in the first year. I'm not sure whether that's a practical hope or not. Um, but do you get the sense that, okay, fine, the first year they didn't um, accomplish that necessarily, but do you get a sense that they are moving towards it, that they're taking it seriously, that it's something that they want to implement um, within the next year or so? Mm. I would say there is um, a real intention hmm. to move things forward. Um, but at the same time, I've also kind of witnessed um, slight uh, kind of like, well, I wouldn't say backlash, but uh, yeah, slight kind of resistance hmm. uh, in, in government, uh, which is understandable. Um, so really, um, as it is, uh, I would say on, on your point, you ask about like whether or not it's practical to make a lot of these changes and reforms within the first year. I would say it's not, it's not quite practical to mm. do that in, in one year. Right. Um, but having said that there is, I would say clear intention and I would hope that, um, there's enough of us um, in public, you know, in the CSO community uh, and the NGO space, enough of us to kind of hold the government accountable, uh, make sure that, yes, so, so, so say, for example, the separation of AG and PP, right? So the government has said, uh, YB Azalina has said that, um, you know, they've started like two task force, right? One to look at um, the international benchmarking, the other to look at, um, the consequences to the to the legislation in Malaysia. So she said that that would take about a year, which is you know perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know ideas have stated again and again that we are ready to assist the government uh, in any way that we can to expedite that process. Um, so yeah, we we recognize the practicality of it. It would take time. Um, so now the the point then is for us, the public. To hold the government accountable, make sure that uh, okay in one year, make sure that you do your reform and so on. Yeah, I also want to talk to you about expanding democracy, um, because for the longest time, Pakatan Harapan has talked about that, right? Um, how can we um, expand democracy, improve democracy, give more power to the people, um, you know, such as um, in reintroducing local government elections, um, re-delineation um, to make um, all the constituencies of, of a proper, um, fair-sized, um, equal-sized, at least plus or minus, so to speak. Um, have, there be any, have there been any tangible moves in this regard or do you think they have put this um, aspect of reformacy on the back burner given the, the current predicament of um, a mixed coalition sort of um, um, equation? Mm. Okay, so on the question of expanding democracy, that's you know very broad, right? Right. So on one level, you, as I've stated before, you see a bigger role of parliament, right? Hmm. As I said. Right, stated. absolutely. SSC um, and and the greater engagement between parliament with um, uh, civil society organizations and non-government organizations, right, and and public in general. So that's that's wonderful. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know things like uh, reintroducing local government elections and and ensuring that redelineation exercises are done fairly. Um, 
I mean, on local government election, we don't see anything <laughs> uh, with regards to that. Um, in fact, um, uh, on the few times of engagements that ideas have done with uh, political parties of, of different political parties, um, some have stated that they're quite reluctant uh, to introduce local government elections um, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, some say that, um, you know, that it would create this like racial polarization, for example, right. like example, in urban centers, it would be, you know, you know, like too many, like, you know, Chinese or, or, or Indian, um, you know, uh, local elected officials, right. which should be an issue, right? Should not be a, a, a uh, yeah, it should not be an issue. But yeah, so unfortunately in Malaysia, that that problem of like racism and so on is always simmering under the under the surface. Uh, so yeah, local government uh, apparently is you know we have no, we have heard no news about that. Um, on redelineation, um, that will be done in I think twenty twenty six. Again, um, you know the government hasn't said anything about that, but. In principle, we believe that redelineation exercise should be done uh, with with fairness, um, and criteria should be focused on like the principle of like one person, one vote, and we should minimize the uh, pass. You know, the situation where the vote of uh, where one vote in one area is more valuable compared to a vote in a different area. Right. Um, so yeah, because right now where we see you know some um, constituency has like hundred thousand voters and others are you know barely thirty or forty thousand, right? So that would mean that the value of one vote in the big constituency is essentially less, right, mm. compared to the vote of that other um, constituency. So that needs to be looked at um, by the EC, especially. Um, and the AC's decision must be non-partisan, obviously, and has to take into account changes in demographics. And quite a number of, um, you know, civil society organizations have been, um, you know, making different research and study on this. And we hope that the government, uh, specifically the EC, when it comes to redelineation, would engage um, and, and take into account, take into consideration um, all these concerns raised by uh, you know, civil society organizations. And we hope that it would eventually lead to a system where, you know, it would be fair and, and our democracy would be enriched because of it. You know, at one point, Shazwan, Malaysia was known as the Asian tiger. And then mm. there was a long period of sort of plateau. And then we became infamous for the 1MGB scandal. Where yeah. are we today? And over the past year, has Anwar helped to restore some faith in Malaysia in the eyes of the international community? How do you think Anwar is performing on that front as this sort of um, statesman um, in the eyes of the international community? Mm, I think generally um, when it comes to um, kind of improving or enhancing Malaysia's image on the international stage, uh, with regards to uh, anti-corruption and and demo, you know, increase in democracy and governance, I would say Anwar has been quite, uh, you know, fairly 
I would say fairly successful in that sense uh, because, um, well, number one, he is quite well known internationally. Uh, he was considered a prisoner of conscience, uh, you know, when he was in prison. Um, so yeah, uh, the international community is very much aware of of him, um, and he has also said and done um, some very important and crucial institutional reforms as we as we have discussed, right? So. Um, in that sense, I would say he's been fairly successful um, to kind of, you know, improve on Malaysia's tarnished image in the international stage. Um, but whether or not um, that image can be translated into actual, you know, institutional reform, now that is a whole different discussion, right? Um, yeah, so again, it goes back to whether or not these reforms will be successful, right? Um, and, you know, things like, again, separation of AG and public prosecutor, uh, political financing reforms, um, you know, fixing uh, MACC um, and the EC, uh, while also grappling with uh, quote-unquote green wave and racial and religious polarization in Malaysia. So all of this is you know, is a kind of textbook case of <laughs> very uh, complicated uh, politics, right? Uh, but yeah, in terms of image, I would say he's been fairly, fairly successful. But, you know, whether or not that is translated into practical reality, political reality, uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, Remains to be seen indeed. Where do we go from here, Shazwan? Um, what are the next steps? Um, what should the government, um, because it's been one year, um, we would like any government, um, especially if they are doing a decent job, to remain in power without another kind of musical chairs, Lanka Sheraton and all of that. Um, assuming they do remain in power at least for the next four years until the next elections, what should they focus on? What should their steps and next steps be? Um, definitely focus on, uh, you know, lasting and sustainable institutional reforms Right, uh, as we've discussed before, um, you know, make sure that crucial reforms such as separation of AG and PP is done uh, as soon as possible. Political financing, um, you know, um, and and many others uh, is done, uh, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, also, you know, parliamentary empowerment as well. Um, so that should be the focus. Also, at the same time, obviously. Um, all these high-flying values of democracy and governance will be will turn to naught if the Malaysians are not uh, kind of like the, the the economy is not uh, performing well. You know, Absolutely. so the economy should be uh, you know the government should also take into account uh, bread and butter issues, right? Um, you know, make sure that. Um, the people's, uh, you know, well-being is well taken care of. That is also important. But to me, um, as ideas, um, really, what matters is institutional reforms. Because once that it that is in place, regardless of whoever is in power later on, um, you know, at least you would have created or erected a system and institutions that would ensure that our political culture will be more mature and accountable. Absolutely. And before we wrap this conversation up, Shazwan, would you have a final message for us? 
Final message, I think um, us Malaysians, we need to move away from personality-based politics. Uh, I think that is very unsustainable. Um, too often, we look at uh, big man like <laughs> politics, right? Right. Uh, to be fair, it's not just Malaysians' fault. Uh, it's it's true in you know practically all countries in the world, even in the West. Right. They like you know, oh, Trump versus Biden, or you know, rather than looking at the reforms, the institutions that are in place. Um, so, um, yeah, that would be kind of my final message. Um, and meaningful, meaningful and sustainable change takes time. Um, you know, you can't really rush reforms. So the whole point of uh, living in a democracy is that uh, you know, the public, members of the public should always hold the government accountable and always remember not to be distracted with these tiny, you know, um, things like, you know, who is car- the, the current politician being sent to jail or <laughs> who's the current big man in power. Right. Um, those are important, sure, but, you know, always make sure that you have your, your eye on the ball, which is institutional reforms. On that note, Shazwan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Shazwan Zainal, Assistant Manager of Research at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, which is IDEAS. If you miss any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, Apple, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.